0: So we are in Mark. We're continuing on in the sermon series of what did Jesus do? Not just what he said, what he says is important, but what also what he did. And uh, we're going to start off in 9, Mark chapter 9, verse 42. And we're going to read a little bit and talk a little bit and just go through this. I encourage you to follow along in scripture with me so that you can just sort of see and reflect in. What happened? And so I wanted to just give you a little preface. If you were here last week, we know that this conversation that Jesus is happening followed or was part of the argument that the disciples had on who was the greatest. So this is a continuation of the conversation. It's not like this is a new story. This is part of that narrative. So this is what Jesus said. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea." Now by talking about little ones, um, you, you need to understand that this wasn't talking about children. It really was talking about folks who were new in the faith and who were growing in it. So earlier in the statement, he took a kid and talked about little ones. He's going to continue to talk about things. You sort of got to follow him as it goes. But it's talking about people who might not be as sophisticated in their learning, but seek to be faithful and obedient to Jesus with a childlike faith. Um, Jesus warned that if people who are puffed up with knowledge or their status in the church arrogantly... Curse or calls these simple Christians, these baby Christians, if you were to stumble, they were exposing themselves to great chastisement. And so what was the chastisement here? Uh, back in, the, uh, in those days, they had these large stones that would roll and they had a hole through the center. And usually uh, horses or oxen would go around in a circle and pull the stone around as they would crush grain or other things. So what they were saying is is pretty much, Put one of those around your head and be thrown into the water, that it would be better for you. And it's like, wow, that's exciting, right? That I mean, that Jesus didn't play around. And some of this is hyperbole, but there is a consistent message: is that he, you know, whoever causes them to stumble who believe in me, it is a challenge for those of us who might. Have grown further in the faith and forgot what it's like to have a childlike faith. I love what Alistair Begg said. He said that I am a child in my faith. Even at 58 years old, he said he was a child in the faith. I want to say that I am a child in the faith at 48 years old, that I just want to trust God and be bold about him and not go to the left and right and let my faith guide me. Verse 43. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled with two hands to go, than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. So, in ancient Israel, during the time of King Ahaz and Manasseh, they were not good people. They were not good kings. They were wicked kings. They would have child sacrifices in the southern portion of Jerusalem around this uh, creek or ravine called Gehenna. And they would go and they would kill children. It's horrific. They would go and they would do sacrifices, and then the prophet Jeremiah came up against them and spoke and just provoked, uh, provoked judgment on them, and eventually King Josiah came in and he put the, uh, the, the practice aside completely, as rightfully it should be, and then they turned this area of Gehenna into a dump yard for Jerusalem. And it wasn't just the dump yard, it was also a place where not just household trash, but when they took uh, oxen or animals that had been killed or used for food, when they would take everything that was left, they would put those into the big fire in Gehenna, and they would actually light up all the trash. And it was said that this would be a constant smoldering hill of trash, and, and there would be constantly new um, it's sort of gross, I know, but just parts of things being eaten by um, maggots and, you know, the fire, which is constantly consuming. And so Jesus is bringing this, this idea of, it's not like it, this is actually what it's going to be in particular, but he's bringing this idea of a place that you do not want to be. And he says that if your hand causes you to sin, to cut it off because it's better to enter life crippled, then with two hands and go to hell. Again, this is hyperbole. He's making a point by saying some very drastic things. This verse goes back to Isaiah 66, verse 24. "And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all. Flesh. So Jesus here is talking about hell. Now, what has been bad, at least in our current history, and let's say even in the past 20, 30 years ago, hell was talked about, and probably still is, almost arrogantly by pastors. It almost comes out too easy. Well, if you don't do this, then this. But our tone when talking to hell, about hell needs to be important. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Jesus knew that there were people there who were unrepentant, who weren't following after him, and it caused him to weep. Jesus saw that and knew that part of his mission was to go to hell so that we would not have to. You know, we say that if you ever said the Apostle Creed before, it talks about he descended into hell. Um, so he went so we didn't have to. Jesus never expounded with the publicans and sinners on hell. He wasn't talking to them. He was often talking to those who professed belief and called themselves saints. He spoke of heaven to those who were prepared to say that they were sinners. I find this an interesting balance I think all along there has to be talk of love. You know, uh, there's been a lot of things, love is everything, love wins, love, all this stuff over here. But without understanding that without the love of Jesus, the love of God, and paying the price, we cannot fully understand what love is, and that is a hard, hard concept. Another way to think of suffering, um, is that we cannot understand what love is unless we suffer or there is some other option out there. It becomes, it can become like an automaton of just relationship. Everything's glorious, everything's good, and we do things. And so the biggest argument against God by many atheists and agnostics is that how can a loving God create people who he knows some would ultimately go to hell and would suffer? And that is a very difficult question, and it is a a tough question. It's one that I don't fully have my head around, but I think I mentioned it last week. Those of you who are parents in here, most of us decided to have kids knowing that they would go through a life, and they would struggle with their sin, they would suffer with struggling and suffering, and that they would ultimately die. So we cannot talk about God in such a way that we can't understand that the relationship is valuable and it overcomes some things that we don't understand. But our tone is important. Understanding our sinfulness gives us context for uh, doing things that we need to do or even for cutting away things out of our lives. We sang. It's your mercy. We don't deserve your mercy. And that could maybe sound abrupt to some. But if we understand the holiness of God and how how he stated there is no one righteous, no not one, no one can stand before him, and therefore there must be sacrifice, we don't understand that there's also great mercy that he has lavished upon us. In while that we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, I want to give you an idea of what cutting away is. On this picture here, this guy's name is Aaron Ralston. In April of 2003, he was hiking the Blue John Canyon in southern Utah alone. This was one of the last mapped out places in the United States. Very rugged, miles and miles and miles away. I think he was approximately 14 miles away from any civilization when he was climbing down this uh, thin crevice. And as he got to this place, he got to this one rock and he looked down and there was a long drop to another rock. And he said that he looked down and he was trying to figure out how to get down from there. And so what he did, he said, he, he talks about it like coming off of a basketball rim. Imagine standing on a basketball rim and you look down, right, you're trying to figure out how to get down where you can hold the rim and let's get yourself extended like this. So when you drop, you don't drop as far, right? So that's what he was trying to do. And as he dropped down, this massive 800-pound rock, which, you can, which is actually, this is an actual picture of when he was stuck for days, is uh, you can see his right arm up in there. He was taking pictures. He wrote on the rock, rip, because he thought he was going to die there. He hadn't told anyone where he was going hiking. No one knew where he was. And so he was saying goodbye to his parents and doing all this stuff, and just asked whoever found his body to send it out. But he went and finally decided, I think it was ultimately 172 hours, that he decided that it was better to live with one arm than to die with two. And it's a little bit gross, but he was close to dehydration, you know, starvation was a secondary issue. Loss of blood was probably an issue as well. That he had like a, a small pocket knife that he began, he created a tourniquet and he began to cut his arm away. And once he cut his arm and is from like the elbow down, he realized that he couldn't break the bone with the knife. He literally went and broke his own arm. To get away from the rock he is quoted this is him saying he came to the conclusion that i either die with two arms or live with one he cut himself away was bleeding walked his parents had already sent like a search and rescue helicopter Uh, he miraculously got rescued and survived and is now an inspirational speaker but he decided that the penalty for staying there was far worse than cutting his own arm off. And he says this day, I watch all the interviews, he said, I am thankful for what happened that day. Now, in reading this, it's easy to make this elaborate statement, it's better to cut your arm off, like Jesus said. But let's bring it into real context. Jerry Bridges said this, he said the mentality of let go and let God, who's heard that before? Let go and let God, right? Let go, let God, let go, let God, almost killed him spiritually. Let go, let God, almost killed him spiritually. He says that the best thing to say is let go and go. In essence, instead of this let go and waiting for God to do something, that God has given us everything that we need. And this doesn't mean we're you know we're just rugged Americans and we can do it on ourselves. This obviously doesn't mean, it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is not necessary, but God has given us laws and instruction to follow after, rules to follow, if you would, that give life and abundant life and we're called to walk in them. And he finally realized that This temptation to sit and wait till tomorrow to start making change would have been like almost him sitting there and waiting till the next day when death would probably surely come by dehydration. So my my tie in with that is that could it be that many Christians, and this is who he's talking to, he's talking to his disciples, that many Christians are just waiting for God to do something for them. And God has given the reality of what, how we're supposed to be there, and they're, they're waiting till tomorrow. They're buying the bait of Satan saying, hey, just wait till tomorrow to do that. Now, I just have to honestly confess, I have done that. Well, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'll wait till tomorrow. The sun will come out Tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow. I'll stop doing this thing tomorrow. Maybe I can start, um, maybe someone will find me tomorrow. But maybe there is drastic measures that need to be taken place. And this is why Jesus uses this strong hyperbole, because maybe the sin that is besetting us, is far more dangerous than we give credit for. Maybe our loneliness, maybe our uh, depression, maybe some of these things is far greater affected us and it is killing us when we've sort of gotten used to it. And we have not realized that it's better, spiritually speaking, to cut something away than it is to stay and live with it and have full freedom. So let me just sort of give you some ideas of some things. Um, So maybe you have a problem with uh, a person or with food or a computer. Uh, Maybe there's stuff on the computer, let's say, and it's like, well, there's some good things on this and there's some bad things. Jesus would say, take a rock to that computer and just crash it. Turn the apple into applesauce, because it's dangerous for you. Maybe you have a relationship with someone at your work site that is causing you problems. Maybe it's relational issues. Maybe it's temptation. God doesn't say just sort of hang in there a little bit longer, wait till tomorrow to change it. It's just sort of like, cut it off. Be done with it. It is far better to have one arm then two arms, and follow after that temptation. Verse 45, it says, And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And there we go, he's using that word again. So we're going to see that these three words, you're going to see in a second, eyes, hands, and feet, are all inclusive of what we view, what we do, and where we go. What we view, what we do, and where we go. This is asking for drastic measures. It is saying that if you're attempted, you know it's wrong and God has made it very clear that you just need to cut it off. Doesn't mean that, man, you know, know, yesterday I I forgot to, you know, I wrote a check and I, I did something wrong and then I'm just gonna hack my arm off. That's not what I'm saying. If someone leaves with that, you're missing the point. But if there's something that God's making clear to you very specifically that you need to change, if you just continue doing it, Jesus saying and giving you a warning that that leads to death. It leads to death. So let's move on to uh, the continuation. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Proverbs 4:14 4, says, "Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil." Who is this incumbent on to follow this instruction? Who's it incumbent on? Me, right? It's not me waiting for God to just go, I'm going to go down this path a little bit until you pick me up and teleport me to another planet away from temptation. No, he's saying, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. This hands that he's given us are meant to do good works. These eyes are meant to see great things. These feet are meant to take us and to an area and a place where we're glorifying God. And that's why we sang today, be glorified, be glorified, be glorified. So I got a question for you. If uh, right now I said Chip and join. Joanna Gaines were to come to your house today and renovate your house, who would take me up on the deal? Yeah. All right, right? You're like, yeah, I'm in, you know. And I know some of you got some messed up houses right now. Things are broken around. I know, think of one couple, of, you know, there, everything's being demoed and everything. They come in, they fund it, they do it. I'm like all in. I'm right there with you, right? So, and anybody said it was today only. Would you wait till tomorrow? No, of course not. I wouldn't wait till tomorrow because the offer is only good today. Well, I think God is offering a home remodeling plan for your spiritual body. If we believe what we say we believe, the God of heaven loves us like sons and daughters. We are his sons and daughters, and he's saying, my plan for you is far better than yours. In essence, Chip and Joanna could do a better job of remodeling my house than I can. God can do a far better job of remodeling my body and my spirit than I can. But we buy into that, well, I'm just going to wait till tomorrow, tomorrow. Verse 49. For everyone uh, will be salted with fire. And this is where it gets difficult to understand. I I don't know, actually, this whole section is is tough. Probably spent more time in this week trying to put all this together. But for everyone will be salted with fire. That sounds encouraging, right? That's not excluding me. Hear the the verbiage here. It's not like he's talking about hell. Hell. He's saying Does everyone will be salted with fire. He's talking to his his disciples. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So, everyone will be salted with fire. So, in the Old Testament, when they would bring an offering in, one of the ways, the means of purification... And it's written all in uh, like around Leviticus. is like they are to put salt onto the meat that was offered up as a sacrifice. And it was meant as a sign of purification. Purification of the sacrifice. So for everyone will be salted with fire. Let me say it another way. Every disciple, every true disciple of Christ will be salted with fire. Another word for uh, salted is what? Purified. For And so I'm just going to give you the, for everyone will be purified, every disciple will be purified with fire. Another way to say fire is called suffering and affliction and difficulty. For everyone who is my disciple, who calls himself my disciple, will be salted, will be purified, will be cleansed with fire a purifying fire of suffering and difficulty so that you will not lose your saltiness. He says, salt is good. Purification is good. I want to say it was Bob Marley. I think he had a, a mole on his toe. And he was Rastafarian. And he believed that he couldn't have a doctor. And it was a malignant Uh, cancer on his toe, the mole went cancerous, and if he had cut it off, he probably would have lived quite a bit longer. And we understand that. We understand that when people are going through struggles with uh, cancer or different sicknesses that you have to deal with the root cause. And this is what Jesus is talking to his disciples about, that the root cause is found right here. It's in your heart. Remember, the argument started with what? Who's going to be the greatest in heaven? Pride gets to it. I'm a little better than someone else. I'm going to do this. We don't want a remodel. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, if you want to turn there, you can. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. It's not up top. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, it starts off, and says, according to the grace of God given to me. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building it upon me. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. For if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what, work, what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire." He's saying that what we do, and I'm going to go into Romans in a second, what we do, how we deal with sacrifice, how we deal with purification, how we cut stuff off out of our life is part of being a living sacrifice that is being purified to be made more like Jesus Christ. So Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, without sacrifice, remember the Old Testament, they'd bring sacrifices? Without sacrifice, there is no strong relationship. There is no true worship of God. If we just show up on Sunday and we're a one hour worshiper or one hour God glorifier and we leave out and we do our own thing, that is not sacrifice. That's more like country club church. You know, you're a member, and it will be burned up someday. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and although they were a messed up group, he loved them dearly. So let me look up here. Every believer should be salted with fire, thoroughly tried and purified, just as every sacrifice is to be salted before it can be offered acceptably To god what does this mean right now if you are going through a struggle that you are being obedient to god in and you're walking through with him and you're being purified through it that is a natural reflection of being a disciple of christ that is what is meant to be at the same time over here is if you are continuing to grab after things of this world have you ever seen the drawn and quartered pictures from the 1700s, 1800s, when they would take people and, oh, that's like bad. You're spiritually in both worlds grabbing. Something is going to give way. But every believer should be salted, purified with fire, just as every sacrifice Before it can be offered, accepted, and accepted before the Lord. Brooks says this, Peace, or reconciliation, is disrupted by ambition to be great in a worldly fashion and is promoted by the servant attitude. The disciples started off arguing. And if you look back at how this area, or this part ends, it says... Have salt, on verse 50, at the end of it it says, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. He's looking right at his disciples. Imagine Jesus got you right there. He's like, salt is good. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Reconciliation or peace will be disrupted by ambition To be great in a worldly fashion, but is promoted by the servant attitude. And I'm not talking about the beach, you know, serve because, you know, you're just going to do it and and run yourself ragged and be miserable for Jesus. Not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about walking with the Lord, serving others, considering them greater than you, instead of arguing in your head who's going to be the greatest in heaven. Now, see, in this room, I don't think that there's probably a lot of people who are angling to be the greatest in heaven. I think I have a fairly good idea of the heart of the people here. Don't feel like that that's a big problem. But I do feel that there's a problem with not wanting to cut something off and deal with it at the root and waiting till tomorrow and waiting till next year waiting for january 1st waiting for your birthday waiting for something to change waiting for god to fix it if j.i packer struggled with waiting for god to fix something and then only realized it was through actually following after him that i think that probably can apply to us so this morning where do we take this just thinking let's go back to a couple things The argument started with who's going to be greatest. Jesus says, these, these other people who are following after me, you need to love them. You don't want to cause them to stumble. But he said, if you, it goes outward and then it goes inward. But if there's something in you that is causing you to stumble, cut it off. This morning, I think the message to us is if there's something in your life, and you know what it is, it's like I don't need to give a big list for you to figure it out. Everyone knows what it is. Is that a fair assessment? Would you all agree with that? What would you say? If you, don't ask your if you don't ask your spouse. Oh, yeah. And I know a Christian counselor, I once that erupts, you know, you can go see Rob in there. But yeah, more likely people around you know what that is. But God is saying to you, trust me. If you trust Chip and Joanna Gaines, Would you not trust me who gave my son to leave the perfection of heaven, to suffer and die, to take our place, to give us a new life? I often say it when we take communion. His body was broken so that ours can be made whole. That's his promise this morning. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. Don't wait for God to do something miraculously. Cut it off. Don't go, don't call 911. I don't want to hear somebody say, Eric, cut my arm off. I cut my arm off. Don't do that. (laughs) But if there's something in your life that is not supposed to be there, and God's been talking to you through the Holy Spirit and saying, I need you to follow me. I need you to trust me. I need to do some remodeling of your home interior of your heart. Cut it away and be done with it. The promise of the gospel this morning is that Jesus died. God in the heavens created a people. The people in their own hearts turned from him, just like you and I have. Turned from him, turned away. Followed after our own ways, sought our own... um, Affirmation that we've got it together when we know that we don't. And he came and he died in our stead. And he offers us eternal life in heaven with God, peace with God, reconciliation in this life and in the one to come. Have you ever read Romans 7 before? I'm not saying to go there now. Romans 7 says this I'm paraphrasing. I have failed, or I am I'm, I'm a failure, I am weak, and I am guilty. I am a failure, I am weak, and I am guilty. Romans 8 says, I am loved, I am saved, and I am safe. The real Christian will walk in both of those channels and drive their car in the ruts of that road. I am a failure every day of the week. There's things that I say and I think and I do that I fail and I mess up. I am weak every day of the week in some way, shape, or form, and I am guilty. Yours is going to look different than mine, but at the same time, in Christ Jesus, I am loved, I am saved, and I am safe. Let us embrace that as we come to communion. Would you please stand? We come to communion in order to remember the sacrifice, in order to just repent of things. If, there's, if your arm's stuck in a rock this morning, God already knows it's there. He can move that rock. Come to him this morning and just say, God, today I'm going to follow after you. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to communion, Lord, we ask that you would just reveal your way in us, Lord, that you would do that work, that you would redesign our spiritual abode, Lord, that we might trust in you and that we would experience having two arms and as good as having one and following after you. Lord, we thank you for this promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Please come.